We have been going through a series through the Gospel of Mark. It's been our practice, our strategy to just go through the Scripture because we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God and it's helpful, it's profitable for the people of God to be equipped with with every good, equipped to do every good work. It's profitable for correction, for training, for teaching, training in righteousness so that you and I, Christian, might be equipped to do everything that God has called us to do. And each one of us, we believe here at City Church, that each one of us is called to be a minister, a servant, somebody who represents Jesus, somebody who loves and serves others like Jesus. And so we just go through the Bible and and, and talk about what the Bible says. And there's times when we are challenged and stretched by the words that we're reading and the words that we're studying and the words that I'm preaching, there's often, oftentimes I'm stretched by the, by the messages that I'm, that I get to, uh, preach a sermon from, uh, because they, it may be that I struggle to understand or it may be that I struggle to really believe it in my heart. Some of the things like this, this passage today is, is a radical passage, a, a passage that challenges us to believe the God who is almighty and who can do anything. To believe God to, uh, do the impossible. And so we're gonna, we're gonna talk today about the, the power of prayer. Um, have you ever wondered why is prayer such an emphasis in the Bible? Why is it such a weighty thing? Why is it a topic that from the Old Testament to the New Testament we see it comes up again and again and again? Well, I think there's a number of reasons why I think that that's the case, but one of them is prayer is about, it's about God and our relationship with Him and us connecting with Him, us communing with Him, us talking to Him. And and it's about that relationship and this is what we are designed for. We're designed for relationship with God, to know Him. To be known by him, to walk with him, to have this personal, intimate relationship with him that changes and affects every area of our life because we really do know him. And that's our vision here at City Church, to know Jesus, to know Jesus, to love people and impact your world. So last week we looked at the end of Mark chapter 10 and we looked at this blind beggar who cried out to Jesus. He was a needy beggar who couldn't see. And he heard Jesus passing by, this, this miracle worker, this guy who many thought was, could be the one, the Messiah. And the blind beggar was convinced that it was so that he was the Messiah because he cried out with a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And so he cried out with this conviction. That Jesus was indeed the Messiah. That Jesus had the ability to do something about his needy, broken state. And that Jesus was willing. And people tried to hush him up. As he was crying out, he was becoming obnoxious to the, to the crowd. And they're trying to hush him up. Hey, quiet down. And he just, and he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't quiet down. He raises his voice even louder. Lord Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus tells him to, uh, to tell him to come and, and he, and he asks this man, what do you want me to do for you? 
and, and, he, and he told him, I want to receive my sight. And so we looked at that last week and, and how in, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus asked in two different settings, what do you want me to do for you? In one setting, it was the, uh, the, the disciples who wanted a place of glory at the right hand and at the left of Jesus, James and John. Right? They wanted, as one theologian said, extraordinary glory. But this blind beggar man, he just wanted ordinary health. He just wanted to see. And he asked the right person, and he didn't give up. He prayed in faith. His faith was directed toward Jesus. And Jesus said these things. And he said, your faith has made you well. So he, so we talked about last week how he was an example of, of a person of faith. As we see throughout the gospel of Mark, we see Jesus moving and changing people's lives. And we see that everyone who comes to him in faith, they experience favor, they experience blessing, they experience him showing up in their lives. And that's what he wants for each one of us. And we talked a little bit about last week how you and I are like blind Bartimaeus, just like he was needy, in need of mercy, in need of the Lord to open his eyes, you and I are needy as well. And we direct our prayer to Jesus who has mercy on us, who is gracious to us, to forgive us. He has mercy on us in opening our blind spiritual eyes, right? And so we see an example of, of a, a very simple prayer of one that was prayed in faith last week. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Now let me just, just ask the question, was it, was his faith the cause of his, his eyes being opened or was it the means? Was it the cause or was it the means? You see, his faith was in Jesus. He was crying out to Jesus. He asked the right person in persistence, in faith. It wasn't just in anybody. It wasn't just faith in faith. It was faith in Jesus, the Messiah, the one who could do something about his issue. And so we're going to look at that today. Jesus teaches in, in Mark chapter 11, 12 through 25. We're going to look at the power of prayer. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles with me. If you have it, if you don't, it's up on the screen. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it is not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, 
they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw a fig tree withered away to its roots. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered, has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it'll be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it'll, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. God has given His people access to great power through prayer, and we must exercise both faith and forgiveness for it to be effective. God has given his people access to great power through prayer, and we must exercise both faith and forgiveness for it to be effective. Now, first, let's start with this section. And I know uh, when on Palm Sunday, we, we looked at a part of this chapter. We looked at the first half, and I, and I delved into this part a little bit about the temple, and I made some comments about the fig tree, but but I wanted to just just highlight this theme of prayer in chapter 11. I didn't want to just skip over the whole chapter since we've we've already covered uh, a, a chunk of it. I wanted to to camp out here because I think I think again over and over the Bible emphasizes the priority of prayer. Okay? It's it's it has to do with our relationship with God and how that affects us and how that changes things around us. How out of that relationship with God, a people knowing God and walking with God, we change and things change around us through prayer. Prayer is powerful and Jesus put emphasis on the priority of prayer. Jesus was angered he was angered that there was a lot of business going on in the temple, in the court of the Gentiles, a place where only the, 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 the place where the Gentiles were able to go. They weren't able to go everywhere in the temple, in the Jewish temple, but they could go to the court of the Gentiles and it was supposed to be a place of prayer, a place where all the nations, anyone who came from the outside of Israel could come and connect with the one true living God. So they, they showed up, Jesus sees what, what's happening there, and he's, he's upset, he's angry, because there's some abuse happening here. There's, there, there is a barrier from Gentiles experiencing God in his, in the temple, the, the place where God's people gather for worship and to meet with the living God. It had been turned into what he calls a den of robbers. Instead of a place of prayer where everyone can come and connect with the living God, including non-Jewish people, it had become an attraction 
to greedy people, to, to robbers, to thieves, to those who are just trying to make a quick buck. And it angered Jesus. And he, in his anger and in his uh, sense of justice and, and moved with the, the very heart of the Father, he's, he goes in and he's, he turns over tables and he clears the temple of the business that was going on there. Not because he's against business, but but because he's against putting letting any barrier that comes in the way between humanity connecting with the living God. And oftentimes business does that. Oftentimes we idolize our work and we let business become a barrier or busyness. There's a lot of action going on within the temple, a lot of noise, a lot of movement, a lot of moving and shaking, a lot of exchanging going on. And it seems like, man, this place is alive. It's electric. There's a lot going on. But according to Jesus, it's lifeless and prayerless. Okay, and he's angered by that. He's he's it bothers him. He he wants his people to make prayer in their lives a priority. And he wants us to guard against anything that would stifle us from being houses of prayer. See, the church itself, as we gather, should be a place of prayer where we're connecting with the living God. But also, you and I individually are temples, dwelling places of the living God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are the temple of God, individually and collectively. All right, and God wants each of us. This is God's will for our lives that we be a house of prayer, that we be a people of prayer. That Paul says, Paul says it like this: to pray without ceasing, rejoice always, give thanks in all things, pray without ceasing. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now we all know that, and I don't want to shame anybody or just put a weight of condemnation on anybody. Like, man, you guys aren't praying enough. Okay, that's not at all my heart this morning. I want to encourage and inspire, and I want us to see the great possibilities that are open to you and I, the great joy that is available to you and I, the great intimacy and closeness with God that is available to you and I if we will draw near to the living God through faith and prayer, that if we will be a people of prayer, there are great possibilities of seeing things change in our lives and and in the world, the broken world around us. Warren Wearsby said, said it like this about the court of the Gentiles, that, that, that scene there, that the court of the Gentiles should have been a place for praying, but it was instead a place for praying and paying. Praying, P-R-E-Y, and paying. It became a place of commerce. And unfortunately, in too many churches today, that's the case. That there's a similar kind of thing going on. A lot of commerce, a lot of busyness, a lot of business. And, and he was grieved that Israel had this religious activity going on, but lacked fruit like the fig tree. And so we, we of course, we have to address the, the issue of the, the fig tree where Jesus curses this fig tree. Um, it's a very interesting uh, scene here. It's, it's one of the, the only miracles that Jesus does that's that's used where he uses his miraculous power to destroy something, right? Other than the, the pigs that were, when he cast out the demon, the demons from the, from the guy and they went into the pigs and they went, ran off a cliff. 
But, but Jesus uses his power to curse this fig tree and, and theologians wrestle with this. It's, it's a, if a, it's a difficult passage to understand. I mean, when you read it on the surface, you're like, Jesus, why did you just curse the fig tree? Why did you, why don't you just leave it alone and look for another fig tree that had some fruit on it, right? I mean, and, and so it wasn't that Jesus was throwing a, a, a toddler temper tantrum in this moment. He was doing what, what, what scholars and theologians point out as a, as a, um, an acted out parable, a prophetic act. In the Old Testament, prophets would, would, would have these visual, um, um, acted out parables to communicate a message. Some really strange ones too. When you read your Bible, uh, like you read about Isaiah and Ezekiel and different things that they did, it was very strange. But it got the message across. It had the impact and it, and it communicated the message. And Jesus does this here with this fig tree and he doesn't, he doesn't spend much time explaining how, as, as theologians point out, how the fig tree represented Israel. And, and that, that language is used in the Old Testament, uh, numerous places. But, but the, the fig tree had leaves and it indicated that there should be something on it to eat. Let me just read, read this here from one theologian. He said, though the, though ripe figs were not expected until June, smaller prefigs would appear in the leaves in March and April. And Jesus was looking for those indicators that genuine fruit would one day result. He cursed the tree to teach them the lesson. Not because it failed to produce fruit, the tree was a good illustration of the large unbelieving element within the nation of Israel. God had looked to that generation of Israelites for spiritual fruit, and as Jesus hoped to find physical fruit on the fig tree, Israel's outward display of religious vitality was impressive, like the leaves on the tree, but it bore no spiritual fruit of righteousness. It was hypocritical. That's taken from the, the net Bible notes, uh, online, um, resource there. And so we see in, 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 in Matthew chapter six, when Jesus was teaching about prayer, Jesus had a problem with the prayer lives of, of many religious leaders of his day. He had a problem with those religious leaders of their day who, who made prayer a big show externally. Whose prayer life was more about, look at me, look at what I'm doing. God, look at what I'm doing. Y'all, I'm spiritual, right? Either through saying long prayers or praying publicly to be seen by men or praying repetitious prayers as if it's a formula. You just got to say, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God enough times. Or Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh enough times or you know, or, or say so many Hail Marys or, you know, as if it's a formula. And so Jesus had a problem with the prayer approach of the leaders of his day. And he taught in the, in Matthew chapter six, that prayer is to be simple, that we're to talk to God as father, as a child talks to their, uh, to their, their dad. He, he taught us that, that prayer is to be God focused. Focused on who God is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. God-centered, God-focused. He, he taught that prayer should include also asking for our needs to be met, our daily bread. And prayer should include asking for forgiveness, experiencing forgiveness with God and giving forgiveness towards others. He taught that prayer should also involve 
standing against and asking for help against sin and Satan's strategies to harm us. And so he he taught us in Matthew 6 about prayer. And, it, and in this passage, in Mark chapter 11, he teaches us about the power of prayer. And one of one necessary element to powerful prayer, effective prayer, is to have faith in God, to believe. And this is so basic. We all we all know this. We all know that we have to believe, as Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says, it will come says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Now. No doubt there's a lot of misuse of this verse in verses like this, right? Many people want to use this as a blank check to just ask for whatever they want, to name and claim whatever they want. Well, Jesus said, if I just say it, it's mine. I want that Mercedes Benz. Boom, right? Like, so the, the word of faith movement is one, uh, a movement that, that has emphasized some of this particular verse and, and, and many have misused this verse. I think there needs to be some qualification here. And so let's just look at a couple of other things that Jesus said about prayer because this verse isn't the, the, this isn't an exhaustive teaching from Jesus on prayer. It's a short snippet. It's an important one that we're not gonna, we're not gonna downplay. We're not going to ignore. We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we're gonna we're gonna hold the rest of what Jesus taught about prayer in Scripture. Okay, and so Jesus said in John fifteen seven, He said, "If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you." Okay, so here's a qualifier for whatever. Okay, whatever's whatever's not like. Even if I don't have a relationship with God, I can just kind of use him as a vending machine to get what I want when I want it and then go go live my life apart from a, a, a vibrant relationship, an authentic relationship with him. And Jesus connected this verse 7, abiding in him and, and this prayer relationship that we have with God with bearing fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He also said in John 14, verse uh, 13 through 14, he said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So here's some qualifications on the whatever, okay? If you abide in me and my word abides in you, and if you ask in my name, based on my authority and my character, okay? And, and notice that the aim in verse 14 of John 14, the aim, or verse 13, is that, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I love this. See, prayer, the, the effects of prayer, pr- effective prayer, when God's people pray and we, we communicate our requests to God in prayer and He answers, the results are God gets glory, okay? And that's what, that's what the results should be. It shouldn't be, look at how awesome I am because of what I did. No, the results should be God gets the glory. God showed up. We asked. He showed his faithfulness. He showed his goodness. He showed his kindness. And the results should be we get joy. John 16, 24, assurance of answered prayer. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. 
Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. God wants to grant his people joy, his children joy in answering our prayers. And God wants to be glorified and honored and recognized in his major part in answering those prayers. Nevertheless, you and I have a part of asking. You and I have a part of believing. You and I have a part of persevering and not giving up, but trusting that God's going to come through because he said he would. And so we qualify this whatever with abiding in his word and his word abiding in us and asking in his name and also praying according to his will. First John five fourteen through 15 says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked for. Okay? So Jesus taught that prayer should be focused on God's will. What does God want? Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer that Jesus taught has shaped my prayer life more than any other passage of scripture. Especially growing up as a, as a Catholic boy. You know, just memorize that thing. You know, did, you know, and I would just kind of recite it. But I realize that it's more than just, you know, something you say superstitiously and it's not as if you, you gotta say it so many times or in a certain way or in a right place or right time kneeling or at church before a priest or anything like that. Jesus gives us a template and how to pray simply and how to direct our prayer, our prayers to what matters most. To God, God, His name being honored, His kingdom, His will. And he also teaches us to ask for our basic needs, daily bread, forgiveness, and, and also examine our relationship with others. For, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us, right? So we need to qualify the whatever. And I think if we're going to know what God's will is, we need to be people of the word because the scripture is his revealed will. It's his written revealed will to us. There's so much about what God wants for us communicated clearly in Scripture. And so we need to read that. We need to, we need to let the Scripture shape our prayers so that we pray according to the will of God. But also, you know, I like to think about, like, what is heaven like? You know, Jesus said, let, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Like, just use your Bible. And use your imagination a little bit and think about what heaven's like. God is glorified in heaven. People have joy in heaven. There's not sin in heaven. There's righteousness. There's peace and there's joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. And just think about that. There's not sickness in heaven. Okay? There, there, there's not, there's not violence and injustice and, and, and corruption and greed in heaven. There's, heaven is a beautiful place where, where, where God's glory just fills every aspect of it. And that's what we want on earth. That's what we want in our lives. Heaven on earth. We want to pray that and believe for that. And in those areas, 
that we don't see the kingdom of God and the will of God being done in our lives or around us. We want to stand and pray for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done. Now, we know that we were waiting for Jesus to come back until we see that in its fullness. But we want to press in in prayer to see as much as we can see while we're here of God's kingdom coming and his will being done on the earth. And what a privilege it is that God invites us into this. It's, it's a privilege and a responsibility. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Saints, you have access to the most powerful person in the universe. Access, like momentary access. You have access to the wisest person in the universe if you need wisdom and guidance. You have access to the most loving, gracious, kind, and patient person in the universe to pour your heart out to them. And he's listening tenderly, graciously. You have access to the wealthiest person in the universe. He, our God supplies all our need, right? Not all our greed. Our God supplies all our need. And so if we have access to the greatest person in the universe, the most loving, the wisest, the strongest, the wealthiest person in the universe, why wouldn't we use that and leverage the power that he has provided towards us who believe through praying and believing for his kingdom to come, believing that strongholds break in people's lives around us, that they break in our own lives, believing for right now this COVID Sickness to to just go away, to be dealt with. I mean, let's continue to cry out that life would be preserved. Cry out for wisdom and guidance and strength for our leaders. For those on the front lines in the medical field, serving and caring for those who are, are deathly ill. Let's cry out for God's mercy in this season as we see a spike of sickness and fear. And so let me let me just also point out to where Jesus had a wrestle in the garden in prayer with the father. See, Jesus knew that the father called him to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In chapter 14, this is happening. He's moving closer and closer to that. And it's a struggle. And it's a struggle for all of us when God calls us to some difficult times to walk through. But Jesus was going through something unique and, and more difficult than any of us have ever gone through and ever will go through. He was going to the cross. He was going to bear the sins of the world on his body. And his soul was exceedingly sorrowful unto death. And he even began to sweat drops of blood. And he goes through this really difficult time. And he's wrestling in prayer. And, and, and Mark fourteen thirty six. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you, but what you will. And so Jesus comes to, he's wrestling in prayer. He's praying, Father, all things are possible for you. You can, you can remove this cup. Yet not what I will, but yours be done. And we must come to that point too in prayer as well. Because oftentimes we, we may think 
We know what's best and what would be the best situation, the best scenario. And we, and it's okay to pray it if we're based on what we know and what we understand. God, change this, remove this, deliver us from this, shield us from this. We don't want to walk through this. It's hard. But God, in his will, he may have other plans. And, and you and I, here, here's something important. You and I must have a category for suffering within the will of God. If your theology doesn't have a category for you as his beloved children and saints walking through suffering in this life, then, then, then you need to wrestle with this idea in, in, in the Bible. First Peter 4, 9, 4, 19 says, therefore, uh, to, to those who suffer according to the will of God, let them commit their soul as to a faithful creator. And so Jesus suffered according to the will of the Father, and his suffering was to bring redemption to the world. But there are times when God calls us to walk through times of difficulty and suffering, and like the Apostle Paul, we plead with God. Paul pleaded with God three times in prayer. In verse 7, I'm going to read this, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So, keep, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh and a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So sometimes God brings us through the hard times, even though we've done our part in prayer to bring it to him, to cry out to him, to believe in faith that he would move the mountain, that he would remove the affliction. But sometimes God chooses to sustain us with his grace and to bring a greater redemptive element to our lives and to those around us through bringing us through it. And so we got to wrestle with that. We got to wrestle with unanswered prayer. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, but what Jesus, what is clear in this passage is that Jesus teaches us to pray in faith, to pray in faith. And this is an isolated verse over and over in scripture. I mean, this is a reoccurring theme with Jesus and his disciples they struggled to believe and they struggled to understand. And, and he's just consistently teaching his people to live by faith because that's what righteous people do. They live by faith. And that faith has to be in the right person. And, you know, you can have faith in, in faulty objects or faulty people or faulty information. And you can have lots of faith. And you can, you can speak to mountains until you're blue in the face and, and, and just expect that something's gonna happen, but your, your, your faith can, can be in the wrong place and you'll be disappointed. But if your faith is in God, you won't be disappointed. God will show up. And so he says that, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So this is a, this is a battle. This is a fight for each of us. We know Jesus calls us to this. This is so elementary, so basic. To Christianity. We're believers, right? And yet we struggle with this. We struggle to believe. We struggle to not doubt that God's going to answer, that God's going to show up. And oftentimes that's manifested in, in us not asking. Or it's manifested 
in us, act, asking very sheepishly or seldomly. In James chapter 5, verse 15, um, in, in the context of how to, how to respond as a Christian when it comes to healing, when somebody's sick among you, this is a prescription. Here's what needs to happen as Christians. This applies to us today. You know, he says, pray, ha, pray, and, and have the el- call elders of the church to come pray, anoint with oil, pray a prayer of faith, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. That's what we're going to do here at City Church if somebody's sick, and they call and they ask for prayer. We're going to believe God for healing, and we're going to ask God for healing because we believe he's able, and we believe that he's willing. And we're going to ask, and we're going to ask, one of our values here is faithful prayer. We're going to continue to ask, we're going to continue to persevere. And God, you know, he may answer yes, and he may answer us speedily. He may answer no, we, we, you know, it may, there may be times when we're praying and it's not in his will. Or he, it may be wait, like keep asking, don't give up. Jesus teaches perseverance in prayer. In James chapter five or James chapter one, five, verse five and six, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. So this is the con- in the context of going through trials, Christians going through trials, count it all joy. My brothers, when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance, don't we all need more of that? Some people say, don't pray for that, because if if God answers you, he's going to answer you. He's going to answer you by giving you more trials to strengthen your faith. And so he, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So we need wisdom in the, in the context of going through trying times when it's hard to see, when it's difficult to know what to do, when it's d- difficult to know who to trust and what voices to trust and how to, how to live in certain si- situations. So ask God for wisdom um, who gives it generously without, to all without reproach. Okay, God is generous in giving. He's not a stingy dad. He's a good father. He's a generous father. And he loves giving good gifts to his children when it's best for them, when at the right time. But verse six, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And the next verse says, let not that person suppose they'll receive anything from the Lord. So it's very clear, it's very clear that God calls us to be people of faith. And oftentimes unbelief is a hindrance, is a barrier. And I think our faith has to be directed in the God of the Bible. Our faith has to be directed in the one who is trustworthy, the one who's worthy of our faith, the one who's able to do something about our situation because we can speak to the mountain all day until we're blue in the face. And it won't move if God doesn't show up, right? The mountain is a a metaphor, as theologians point out, for the impossible. The mountain is a metaphor for the impossible. And God can do the impossible. What's impossible with man, as Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, is possible with God. And so that's why we pray. Because we are loaded with limitations as human beings. And it's a good thing for us to recognize those limitations, embrace those limitations, and talk to the one who's not limited by what we're limited with 
and ask him for help. And it, it's an invitation for us to, to come close in to an intimate relationship with God. But sadly, many people just seek God's hand for what he could do for them rather than God's face to get to know who he is and to get, and to, get to know his heart. And he wants both. He wants us to know who he is. He's willing and he's able. And so our faith has to be in our God who is able and he's willing. D.A. Carson says this. He says it's far easier to accept the mysteries of divine sovereignty when the divine love is as great as the divine sovereignty. Okay. And so and what he's saying here is that we need to know the attribute and the, the character of God. He's sovereign. He's loving. He's great and he's gracious. And we take a hold of that. We take a hold of who he has revealed himself to be, who his names, the, the names and the titles that, that he has revealed in scripture tell, that, that tell us about him, what he has promised. We take a hold of his promises and we believe and we fight and we fight until we see him show up. Prayer, as D.A. Carson says in his book, Praying with Paul, here are two quotes from him. Prayer is God's appointed means for, for appropriating the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. See, God already knows what we need before we ask him. He already knows. It's not like prayer is like trying to twist God's arm to get him to say yes. Like we got to nag him enough because he's unwilling. But if we just annoy him enough, he'll be like, okay, just go. It's not like that. He's a good father. He doesn't want to spoil us and just give us everything uh, prematurely and, and where we're, we become lazy and slothful and we don't seek him. You know, as we watched in that video, things that we often think we want and, and are good for us tend to spoil our souls and do damage to our relationships here and here. And so I think it's a profound a profound thing that God has chosen the means of prayer for us to participate in for his glory and for our joy. And in this passage, my prayer is that we would see the massive possibilities that we have, the massive potential that we have in our relationship with God to see him show up and to access that in faith by just simply asking. And this is what the apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church to get a hold of. That their spiritual eyes would be opened up to see a few things. And those few things are that they would know the hope of, to which he has called us. That, that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in us the saints. And that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Okay? So this is, this is my heart in this message and I, and I think even in Jesus' teaching the disciples in this moment, there is great power toward you believers, you saints, you followers of Jesus who believe. There's great power available to you. And so let's not neglect that by prayerlessness. Listen to what Eugene Peterson does with this as he paraphrases this passage in the message he says, Jesus was a matter of fact. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. And nothing will be too much for you. This mountain, for instance, just say, go jump in the lake. 
No shuffling or hemming and hawing. And it's as good as done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything, ranging from small to large. Include everything as you embrace this God life. And you'll get God's everything. When you assume the posture of prayer, remember that it's not all asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive. Only then will your heavenly father be inclined also to wipe your slate clean of sins. Isn't that good? So before I, before I move on, I want to ask you the question, what mountain are you facing right now that you need God to show up? And do what only he can do. Because I think we all have some kind of barrier, mountain, struggle. What is it that you're facing right now that just seems impossible? Like, And maybe you feel hopeless and helpless. Well, if you feel helpless, that's okay. Because God is our helper. And you can bring the situation to him. And there's something really sweet about being in that place of desperation before God as we see throughout the Bible and the Psalms and as we see with this blind beggar Bartimaeus, he's in this place of desperation and God meets him in his place of desperation. There's something really sweet and special about when we're brought to that place and we turn to God in that moment rather than harden our heart become bitter and cynical, but we believe God and we cry out to him and he meets us tenderly and graciously and powerfully at our lowest place. And he breaks through the strongholds that we're facing. He moves the mountains that we're facing. It's a really sweet and precious thing. Don't waste that opportunity, saints, as you're walking through the valley. Don't waste that, that opportunity as you're, you're standing in front of the mountain and it just seems impossible. Our God can do the impossible, so we pray to Him. We come boldly before His throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And I know, just looking out, I know several mountains and obstacles that you all are facing. And I'm going to cry out with you. I am crying out with you for God to move those mountains to show up. Let's be faithful in prayer and not give up. And lastly, let's, let's look at this one important element, the problem of unanswered prayer. And we've talked a little bit about this, but Jesus connects this with the, the previous verse. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses also. See, this has to be addressed. This is, this is addressed in how Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us this is something that has to continually be brought to god in prayer if we really are sinners even even though we're saints and we're beloved children of god we're still sinners then we need to practice confessing our sins to god and asking him forgiveness for cleansing and if if we're sinners and we 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 walk in community in in a family with sinners then there's going to be lots of opportunities to forgive other sinners around us Beloved children of God, saints who are sinners too, who hurt us and offend us and hurt our feelings. And if we, if we don't address this in prayer, if we don't, if we don't do what Jesus is teaching here, forgive in prayer, not only have faith, because you can have lots of faith, but you're still holding on to that bitterness and that unforgiveness of that one person who, who did you wrong. 
and your prayers are going to feel like you're, you're hitting the ceiling. There's this barrier because Jesus says, yeah, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. If you want your prayers to be for, for effective, you need to forgive. You need to let it go. And those of us who've experienced the amazing grace of God's forgiveness should have a disposition and do have a disposition of giving that grace out to others freely. But sometimes we find ourselves struggling with this, struggling to let go and forgive and release others and treating others better than they deserve when they've hurt us, when they've wronged us. But just remember how God has treated you and how he has forgiven you. If anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13. And so unforgiveness is a barrier. It's a barrier to prayer. It's a barrier to answered prayer. And so this morning, even as I say that, if there's somebody who comes to your mind, even if you don't feel like forgiving them, make the choice to forgive them with God's help. I'm going to try to provide just a little bit of space because I'm sure there's somebody that needs to just forgive. Somebody who's hurt them, hurt you, done you wrong. Forgive for the sake of your relationship with God so it's not stifled, quenched in your prayers. Husbands and wives, First Peter 3, you know, uh, it says husbands, uh, Peter, a married, married disciple, married apostle says, dwell with your wives in an understanding way. So that your prayers aren't hindered. Husbands, <laughs> if you want your prayer life to be effective, make sure you're being considerate of your wife. You're treating her well. You're dwelling with her in an understanding, gracious, respectful way. Lest your prayers be hindered. Unconfessed sin. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I, if I would have regarded iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear. When we're, when we're, when we're harboring sin in our hearts and we're not willing to let go it stifles our prayer and the effectiveness of it wrong motives james tells us that that you have not because you ask not sometimes we just need to ask there are things we won't experience in this life unless we just simply ask god in faith okay we need to ask you have not because you ask not and you don't receive when you do ask because when you ask you ask amiss you ask to spend it on your 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 own pleasures, James 4 says. So wrong motives. And so that has to be dealt with. And, and, and one of the things I love about prayer is that God checks our hearts in it. When we're in that place and we're asking with the wrong motives, when we find ourselves in that place, you know what? God will change us. God will change us. He'll shine the light on those areas and help us see what we really need and what we really should want. And then sometimes we pray things that are not God's will. We ask him for things that are clearly against what scripture tells us. You know, since I've been a Christian, I've seen God answer many prayers for me personally and amongst the people of God. I've been, since I've been a Christian, I've been a part of a church. I've always been a part of a praying church. In the three churches I've been a part of, including this one, I've been a part of a praying church and I've seen God answer big prayers and I've seen God answer small prayers for his, for the glory of his name and for the joy of his people. I've seen God show up and this week would, here's an assignment. Would you share on our Facebook group page? Um, for those of you who are part of that, share some of the answered prayers that you've seen God 
um, show up in your life for? Just simple things, small things and big things. You can go from the smallest to the biggest or the biggest to the smallest. Just Let's just share. Let's encourage one another with stories of faith. And we could go through church history and we could go through our, the history of our own lives and be so built up in faith as we look look back and see how God's been faithful to his people in answering prayer. I think one of the problems is, as John Piper talks about in his book, um, Let the Nations Be Glad on Missions, too often, prayer is used as an intercom for room service. Can you send up some more brownies, please? When it should be more of a walkie-talkie for wartime. And so that's what he talks about in there, just at missionaries where, where God shows up and he answers big prayers. Because they're not saying, hey, will you send some brownies over no, they're saying, God, we need you to break through so we can reach this people group. We need you to show up so that we don't all die off trying to bring the gospel to this, this small village in India. And so we need to make sure our prayers are God-focused, kingdom-centered, and also others-oriented. Have you ever noticed in the Lord's Prayer how Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, he, used, he uses plural verbiage, our Father, Forgive us of our sins. So, so prayer, really, we should have the people of God in mind when we're praying, not just ourselves. Like, it, it, we, we should have this mentality that we want God to show up, not just for us personally, but us corporately. Amen? And so let's, let's close with a couple points of application. Believe that God is both willing and able to answer your prayers. Very simple. He's willing and he's able. It's one thing to be willing to help somebody out. You can have the kindest, most gracious, compassionate person, but they're, they're limited. They're limited in what they could do. Or, or you can have the most powerful, wealthy, powerful person who could give or, or, or do some kind of act that, that they're able to do but not be willing to do. And God is both. Willing and able. Avoid seeking only what God's hand can give you and not seeking his face to know him. Okay? Let's guard against that. Let's not treat him as a vending machine. As we have needs, let's, that's an invitation for us to press in, to get to know him better. He delights in meeting our needs. He delights in showing up on our behalf and taking care of his children. He's a good father who, who gives good gifts to his children. If, what, what dad, what, do we have any dads here if, if our son, our daughter asks for some fish, some fish sticks, and we give them a stone? Here, go, here, here's some rocks. Put them in the oven. See if they blow up. No. Or if they ask for some bread. Hey dad, can, can I have some, some, uh, some cinnamon rolls? And, and we give them a snake instead. Like, what earthly dad, I mean, you gotta be twisted if you if, if there's a dad that would do that, right? And Jesus says, you know, your father is not gonna do you like that. He's a good father who, get, who gives good gifts to his children. And so appeal to his goodness. Appeal to his greatness and his power, believing that he's gonna show up. Come on up. Lastly, meditate on the promises of God in scripture. To shape and strengthen your prayers. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God.
We need the scripture to strengthen our faith so that our faith is biblical, so that our faith isn't just in faith. Our faith isn't just in some empty hope that everything's going to be okay. The Bible's loaded with solid promises about how God is going to show up and be faithful to his people. And as I quoted earlier, John 15, 17, if you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you desire and it'll be done for you. And so let's, let's close in prayer here. Lord, I pray that you would ignite each of our prayer lives. That we would enjoy you. That we would be motivated and eager to spend time with you. To pour out our hearts to you. To listen to you. And believe, God. To believe that you will act on our behalf. That you will meet us. That you will sustain us with grace and give us your peace to guard our hearts and our minds through difficult times. And you will powerfully work towards us to answer prayers. And so may we grow in being a, a people who are faithful in prayer. Not losing heart. Not giving up. May we be found watching and waiting upon your return. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace.